In John 12, 24, it says this, Truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If we read that in the New Living Translation, it says this, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death produces many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Now, this morning, we're standing in that. We're standing in being those new lives that have been produced. That was John 12, 24 for the, the, the person that's sitting there thinking, oh, I didn't get that scripture reference there. Um, ah, excellent. So this morning, we are talking about what barriers stop us from living the resurrection life. You know, this is what resurrection was about. It was about a seed falling into the ground and dying and producing new life. We're really, really familiar with the, the, the story of the Last Supper. Uh, some of us have a, a, a deeper understanding that the Last Supper was connected to Passover. What some of us aren't as familiar with is today. So today was the Feast of First Fruits. What would happen is the priest would leave the temple and he'd go down and he'd go down to a patch of ground. And what he would be looking for his eyes would scan the ground and he would look for the first shoot that had broken forth from the ground. And he would collect that first fruit and offer it to God. It was the first fruits. That's why in the Bible it talks about Jesus being the first fruit from the dead. That, that's where that connection comes in. So when you're reading that in your scripture reading, this is what it's talking about. So, takes one seed out of the ground, but that leaves a lot of seeds under the ground. And in 50 days' time, that would be harvested. In 50 days' time, that's what we in church call Pentecost or Whitson. Okay, it was it. So, so when we're connecting what we do as churches back to ancient Israel and the festivals there, and then they would raise a loaf of bread above the congregation in a wave offering. So everything that we're reading now is deeply connected to everything that was in the Old Testament. So when Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection, what are we? What are we? On Resurrection Sunday, what are we? In 50 days' time, when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost and the church is born dramatically and 3,000 are saved in one day and people hear from every tribe and nation the, the, the life and the, the, the witness of Jesus being spoken in their own language. What is the resurrection today? So what barriers stop us from living the resurrection life. Because we live a life of resurrection. In Ephesians 1.7 it says this. In him we have redemption 
through his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. You know, this is the traditional place for an Easter Sunday service, is where we are in Christ. But what I want to talk about this morning is our resurrection. We've already got this. But what I want to talk about is I want to talk about resurrection life. Our sins have been forgiven on the cross according to the riches of his grace. Here's a picture of a tomb with a stone, a very large stone, in front of it. When we read about Jesus and Joseph went and he asked for the body of the Lord. And he said, can I take the body of Jesus and bury him? And we hear that he took him to a tomb and that a stone was rolled over the front of the tomb. We then also read that the Pharisees were really worried about the resurrection because Jesus said that he would come back from the grave. So then we find out that a a platoon of soldiers was sent to guard the grave. The emperor's seal was put in front of the grave. You know, in Jesus' time, there were barriers put in place to the resurrection of Jesus. But do you know what? The soldiers couldn't stop him. The seal couldn't stop him. The stone couldn't stop him. And Jesus was resurrected and is alive and sits at the right hand of God. So why sometimes does it feel like we are not living a resurrected, powerful life? What has been rolled in front of us as the barriers to living in God's resurrection power? Well, first of all, there's the barrier of sin. In Hebrews 12.1, we're given this exhortation. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses that surround us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, it's so easy to get tied up in things that entangle us, the things of this world, the things that we know run contrary to God's word the flaws in character that surface, the meeting that we're in, and then suddenly our very base nature comes out instead of the nature of God's grace. Sin quickly comes in to our life. I can't remember the scripture reference for it, but it's talking at... Uh, talking about um, what? It says that sin was crouching at the door. Like sin is ever-present. And yes, we can stand and say that God died for sin, but that doesn't mean we're impervious to the effects of sin entangling our lives. 
If we were, there wouldn't be so much in the New Testament about how to live a life of putting sin to death, of saying, lay aside every sin that would encumber you, because it's what is common to us. We need to learn to run a race of endurance that is set before us. So when we're starting to ask ourselves, what is it that's stopping me? We need to turn that gaze inwards and say, like, how am I living this morning? Is what is preventing me? Is what's affecting my relationship, not only with God, but my relationships with others? Is that something that I need to be looking at? You know, sometimes we get so fatalistic about things. And the church should never be ashamed of talking about sin. The church should never be ashamed of saying, you know, that doesn't really line up with God's word. And you might think, well, it's not really how we do things these days. The the, the world's a lot more modern uh, than that. But you know, Sin is sin. And what the Bible says is this, in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we would be a fool to say that we are sinless, but as Christians, we should sin less and less. Unless we should live lives that are self-reflective, that are full of repentance, and use what the scripture tells us and how the scripture gives us clear guidance about how to deal with aspects of our lives that don't conform to who Jesus is. You see, I think Trevor posted something quite recently about being called Christians, about being Christ-like. That's what the word Christian meant. It means Christ-like. If we have, a tr- if we have trouble distinguishing in our own lives, well, what's this sin look like then? Because like, it, it might be obvious to you, but it's not obvious to me. It's those things that don't look like Jesus. It's quite, quite easy, really, isn't it? Quite hard. But then that's what the gospel is. The the gospel is that Jesus is the way. Now, when we talk about Jesus being the way, he provides the way to deal with sins in a substitutionary sacrifice. But when we continue to sin, say that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us from our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, this is what it means living a resurrected life. When we talk about this Resurrection Sunday, Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live In the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, this is why it's so important to deal with sin in our life. Because when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his crucifixion and sacrifice for us, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live, the life that I live today, the life that I live tomorrow and on Tuesday when I go back to work and sit in meetings with people who already I'm thinking like, are you going to really annoy me on Tuesday? And I think like, how am I going to demonstrate the grace of Jesus to you in this meeting? Because the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, we are a chosen race. 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession so that we can proclaim the excellency of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For we were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So when we're thinking about that barrier to the resurrected life and that barrier of sin, well, a way has been provided. Sin no longer needs to be a barrier to us living a full resurrected life. Because Jesus has made a way. In fact, it's no longer us that lives, but Christ that lives in me. In fact, we aren't rejected and cast off because we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We have received Mercy. So just as all of the impediments that were put in front of Christ's tomb were obliterated and could not stop resurrection power, sin cannot stop resurrection power in your life. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. A bit difficult to believe all this stuff 2,000 years ago. A bit difficult to believe in the 21st century. I can never remember whether you add numbers or take away numbers when you talk about centuries. I think we're in the 21st century. I think so. We might be in the 22nd century for all I know. Or that, that, that might just be me. But, you know, truth is truth. doesn't matter whether we're talking the 21st century, 20th century, 19th, 18th, 17th, 16th. All the way through, God is still God. However, people will try and convince you that what you've believed, there's something wrong with it. Like, it was a cheese dream. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit like Scrooge. Oh, some hunk of gravy. 
we all encounter the barrier of belief. Let's not, let's not try and pretend when we're in church because church is the one place that we should stop all that pretending stuff and actually tell the truth. You know, when we, when we say that you're the way, the truth, and the life, it's a bit ironic sometimes that there's so little truth told in buildings that proclaim to be for the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, doubting is common. Doubting in yourself particularly is even more common. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. You know, when Jesus is talking in this context, he's talking about the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who, who are telling people about what it takes to be saved. And he said, like, you know, they're trying to rob you. They're trying to rob you of the truth that I am the great shepherd. I am the one that's come to seek and to save the lost. There's so many things that come in in terms of thought and belief that we are told that either we're not worthy or it didn't count for us. Christ died once and for all and paid the price for sin. There aren't any exceptions. You're not exceptional. You know, I used to love, uh, we, we, we used to have these songbooks, shows how, how old I am. There were, there were these blue pamphlet things with slide binders. And on, on the first, first page, I think it was, uh, there was an army of ordinary people, a kingdom where love is the key. You know, we're ordinary. There's nothing different. There aren't people sitting amongst us that have been born with superpowers or bitten by radioactive spiders that are somehow more spiritual than the rest of you through some sort of freak of marvel or anything else. You know, our school's got a, a slogan, and for, for, forgive me, YouTube, you can put me into disciplinary at, at some stage, uh, where we say, be extraordinary. But we're talking about people who struggle in their daily lives to just be ordinary, to not be subject to poverty and sickness and disease and addiction. Sometimes there are these ridiculous bars that are set and the bars that we impose upon ourselves. They're entanglements that we choose. The thing that makes Easter extraordinary is Jesus Christ and the power of resurrection. You see, Ephesians 2, 4 to 7 tells us this. It says that God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. He raised us up and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he could show the surpassing richness of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. You see, our life becomes transformed when Jesus is in it. 
Our life is transformed when Jesus is in it. And that is what obliterates the barriers to us living a resurrected life. Because Jesus obliterated death in the tomb. And Jesus can resurrect the dead areas of our life. Which gives us the power to do this. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, the battle that goes on up here in your thoughts and your beliefs about your worth and everything else are things that you need to engage in battle with. Now, we, when we, we talk about those three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil, we're talking about these, these areas, that, the fleshly area that leads us into sin, but also the flesh of the mind of how we think, how we think about ourselves, how we think about other people. So we need to take these thoughts captive. But you know, it's hard. It's hard. Mark 9, 23 to 24. It's a story of a, a man that was looking for healing for his child. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. You know, you are going to struggle in your mind. You are. Your mind tells you horrible things. The mind is an immensely powerful thing. I had night terrors until I was, oh, probably a young teenager. I used to wake up screaming every night, sweating from head to foot. Fear and the tricks that the mind plays are terrible, terrible things. Christ says that when you're in that place, and struggling to believe. Reach out. Just like this father does. I do believe. Help me. In my unbelief. In James 5. Uh, I think it is. Um, it says. If any of you lacks wisdom. Let him ask. God. Well actually in James 5 it says. Let him who lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously. Let him ask wisdom from God, who gives generously. I haven't had a chat with Trevor about this, but I'm actually really keen on us 
starting to have a scripture to try and warn as a memory verse. You know, a lot of us in this church actually have anxiety issues, mental health issues. This is an amazing, amazing scripture. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Even in the middle of that unbelief, know that you are held. Know that you are held by God. He will keep you in perfect peace because he trusts in you. And then there's a barrier of circumstances. You know, uh, I, 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 do, I do this thing in, uh, in school where I try and, try and talk to people about behavior. And what, what we do is we, we, we get this can of Coke and talk, talk about how, how, the, uh, how, how the kids slept through his alarm and I shake the can of Coke. And then the, the kids' mums come in and shout at the kid for still being in bed. And I shake the can of Coke a bit more. Uh, and then they've missed breakfast because they're now late for school. So I shake the can a bit more. And then the, the, they've missed the bus because they were, they were rushing. And I shake the can a bit more. Uh, and then they have to walk to school instead of catching the bus. So I shake the can a bit more. And then I hand the, hand the can to, to the teacher and say, like, do you want to open the can? But, you know, the, 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 the kids the, are then having this really bad reaction at school or the can of coke. Now, I'm a can of coke. Yeah? I'm a can of coke. Sometimes I get shaken up by the circumstances that affect my life. Sometimes my reactions are based on circumstances and the fact that I haven't allowed God in to some of those circumstances. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Okay. Can of Coke. Do you know the solution for the can of Coke? Yeah. Sit it down somewhere. Behold, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Time in a safe presence, and there ain't no presence safer than the Lord. Not all of those circumstances 
and there are many. There aren't any that Christ didn't cater for. Because when we were dead in transgression and the uncircumcision of flesh, he made us alive together with him, forgave our transgressions, and cancelled out the certificate of debt, consisting of the decrees that are against us, which are hostile to us. And he took them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Jesus knows about our circumstances. He knows about the storms that assail our boat. Sometimes we wish he'd wake up and get his head off the pillow and say, peace, be still. Now those circumstances, the things that are against you, the things that are hostile to you, he has taken out of the way and nailed them to the cross. In Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, it says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Yes, we live in difficult circumstances. We live in really difficult and challenging times. But we serve one who has the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe, who works in us according to the strength of his might. You know, when we have him working according to the strength of his might, it's what he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. You see, Christ is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that's to come. And he put all things in subjection beneath his feet. And gave him his head over all, of, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, Jesus knows about every circumstances today and tomorrow, the things to come. Now, so often we spend time worrying about what hasn't come yet. But, you know, God's, God's already got it covered. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It's got it all covered. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now in Corinthians, it talks about our weakness in the face of circumstances. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, Christians are great, aren't they? But the amount of times I've heard this passage, when I am weak, he is strong. Don't very often hear the bit about, therefore, I am well content. You know, I'm absolutely buzzing about it when... I'm filled with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulty for Christ's sake. I don't hear that bit preached as, as much. Don't know why. But you know, if we're a bit more honest about the scripture, it reflects a bit more of the lives that we all try and lead. Of being transformed from one place to the other and becoming more and more like Christ. When we are weak, we allow his strength to be made evident in our life. 2 Corinthians 9.8. See, I'm, 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 I'm giving you a wealth of scripture to memorize. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that you are always having all sufficiency in absolutely everything. So that you've got an abundance for every good deed. I was having this discussion with, with Josh the other day, kids, because Josh loves language. And we're, we're talking about how some, some things are, are named really silly. And you, you, you've got things that when you translate them out, it, it translates as mountain, mountain. And I, I can't remember, we were talking about some place in Wales, uh, which I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce because Kerry's in the room. Uh, it, but... But, but the trans translation is basically uh, Lake River, Lake Lake or something. And you, you think about, but, you know, this passage is God is able to make all grace, absolutely every bit of grace, every scrap of grace, everything you've ever thought about grace and everything that you hadn't even imagined about grace abound, be absolutely everything, overflowing, fill, like right up to the top, like fizzy kind of coke and go whoosh, whoosh, to you. That's everyone that's in this room. So that always, like even in the past when you didn't realize what was happening, and, and when, you, when you've had your eyes lifted and you look back, they're like, gosh, God was being really gracious to me back then. And God's going to be really gracious to me in the future. And you know what? God's really gracious to me right now in this minute. And he's going to give you all sufficiency, like absolutely everything that you could ever possibly think that you could need. Like, and even those things that you say, oh, no, I forgot. I really could do it with some eggs from Tesco's. Like, oh, I totally forgot about that. God knows all the things that you forgot about that you need because he knows what we need and we know what we want. And those two things are totally different. And when we rely on what God knows what we need, we realize that we have all sufficiency in everything. Because he's made an abundance for every good deed. You know, God doesn't do half measures when he talks about his grace. When we talk about God's grace, 
It does not have a limit. It also doesn't have a definition because it can't have a definition because it's beyond definition. We can never measure it. We can never fathom it. We can never limit it. You know, when we start doing it, we place artificial boundaries on what God decreed doesn't have boundaries. The grace of the cross is for everyone for all time. Once we start defining it, we start limiting the power and the love of the resurrected Christ. I've heard some people try to define grace. I won't, because you can. And God didn't define it, because when you start to define it, he knows what humans are like. God's grace is bigger than your gob. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. You know, when circumstances are tough, stick in there. Stick in there. You're called according to his purpose. God will cause things to turn. God will cause things to use in your life. God, I don't know if any of you remember the... uh, the, the drama that me and Karen did at Sizewell called The Chisel uh, about all the things that God was shaving and shaping out of our life. And then there's the barrier of the enemy. Ephesians six twelve. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world's forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yet, you know, it's really easy to be sitting in front of your television at the moment and looking at the news and the great evil that we see in front of us. It's easy to become disheartened at how the world seems to be. When we're talking about this God that's so full of grace and mercy, yet we see the, the horrible devastation uh, through floods, through famine, through war. We, we, we see decisions being made about refugees and being transported places. And sometimes our heart breaks at what we see. Sometimes our struggle is against very real flesh and blood things, but sometimes it's against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. But the resurrection has an answer for this. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, so that he could free those who who through fear of death were subject to slavery for all of their life. You see, this was the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross was to defeat the barrier who is the enemy. 
1 John 3 verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this very purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I love this hymn in Christ alone. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. The devil is defeated on the cross. Yes, we live in a world that seems under the sway of evil at times. But that's when we draw back to the one who defeated evil, who defeated death, who defeated fear, who brought hope of a future. So this morning, it's Resurrection Sunday. I started off the meeting with a challenge. Are there things in your life that need resurrected? You know, it's, it, it's very easy, and I'm, I'm not, not, not decrying, like, singing all happy day and feeling really emotional. It's a lot harder to self-reflect ourselves, and I think... Th there's entirely a place for both of those things, but both of those things do very different things. We need to challenge ourselves. Are we living in the resurrection this morning? Galatians 6, 14 says this, May it never be that I would boast, except in this, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through which I've been crucified to the world. I made a choice. I made a choice. I've crucified the world and the world is dead to me. How dead is the world to us this morning? And it's holds. Romans 8, 11. You can live in the resurrection. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead gives life to your bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. His life-giving spirit works in and through us. He is the God of resurrection. If we're feeling, we, like, Rose has got a, 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 a turn of phrase for things that aren't quite where they should be. And she, she, she's saying, like, yeah, that thing is just a bit flabby and out of shape. You know, flabby you can do something with. Like, if I'm flabby, like, I can watch what I eat and I can do weights so I can do exercise. Flabby is something that is not out of control. It's just not in the shape that it should be in. You know, this morning, when that spirit 
quickens things. Our spiritual flabbiness can be challenged and we can do something about it. Because I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I am not ashamed of this gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews and then to the Greeks. Now, Resurrection Sunday, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of resurrection that brings to life that's, that which is dead, that reminds me of the areas of my life that I need to submit to Christ because it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And that's what living the resurrected life is. That's what living a life of power is. That's what living visible Christianity looks like because people will look and think like, what is it? That's resurrection life. That's not, that's not just brain and body stuff moving flesh around. There's something within. There's something burning within. St. Augustine said this. We are an Easter people and hallelujah is our song. This morning, I just want to leave that with you. You are an Easter people. His praise is our song. What is there within you that you need resurrected this morning? You can change those words. We are a resurrection people. And hallelujah is our song. You know, I'm humbled by the sacrifice of Christ for me. But what I think is even more marvelous is that we can live a life that's empowered by Christ after the fact that our sins were forgiven. It gives us the power to live in a life where our beliefs are challenged, where our circumstances are difficult, and he's still the rock that we can hold on to. He's still the light in the darkness. Now, as Sharice was saying just before I was finished, God, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So this morning, rejoice in Easter. Rejoice in being children of the resurrection. Jesus was the first fruit, but you are the harvest. He was the first fruit, but you are his harvest, the resurrection from the dead, able to live by a whole new manner of living. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we thank you that you died for our sin. But Lord, we thank you that you are a living saviour, that we read that you sit before the throne of God interceding for the saints, praying for us, so that in all things, at all times, 
we would be able to have an abundance of everything that we need. Lord, we just bring all of our needs to you. All of the things in our life, all of our thoughts, where we've allowed those to be challenged, where we've taken our eyes off of you through the circumstances that we are in. Lord, I just pray that you would reignite our faith this morning. Resurrect our life. Live in us. Lord, we just thank you for Easter. Lord, we thank you for this day. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Christ is risen. Ah, oh, now you, yeah, you, you were quite good at the start of church, weren't you? Christ is risen. Now, now, now you're not getting away with that. I won't, I won't let you get away with that in school. Christ is risen. Okay, now, this is from Tom Bennett's running the room. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing some really positive stuff on this side of the room, yeah. Oh, th thanks, David, I heard that. Just a few more to join in now. Perfect. Christ is risen. Amen. You know, it's a lot easier to believe when you say it. It's a lot easier to believe when you say it. Thanks for tolerating me, but there, there, there is reason sometimes. It's far easier to believe when we say it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.